time, exactly last year, Christmas Eve 2015, I was on a private island in Belize. You see, pastors are called to a life of suffering, and I've accepted the invitation. Uh, now, this, so the past Christmas, I was on this private island in Belize. This Christmas, I've spent moving, so the year has taken a downward turn for me. Um, but uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I was in Belize for my honeymoon. Uh, i just gotten married, and Lindsay and I were uh, able to have the opportunity to go to Belize uh, for the honeymoon, and it was this beautiful, beautiful place. We spent most of the afternoons watching um, you know, this beautiful sunset, this, this bright, soft, orange sunset paint in the sky, painted in the sky over these kind of pristine blue waters. You know, I'm from South Texas, so I wasn't aware that there were such things as water in the ocean that you could see through, but it exists and it's beautiful. And we, we got there in, uh, on a really early uh, morning one day, um, probably like 6, 7 a.m. And everyone on the island, there's like 12, 13 people on the island, were up and about and doing their thing. And we were kind of surprised that, you know, this early everyone was up and about. And, and so we learned the next day why everyone got such an early start to their day because we slept in. That's my definition of a vacation. And we woke up and learned that if you wake up around 11 or noon in Belize, you have a solid four hours of sunlight until everything goes black and you can no longer really enjoy Belize. And so the next morning we were up at six, right? So you can suck every uh, ounce of joy out of the experience. But it it was something else being on this island because the transformation from day into night was fast and furious. Uh, my wife is, is sick tonight. If she was here, she could um, you know, testify to the statement. But, but the nights in Belize were harsh and, in a sense, kind of scary. Um, it, it would happen, there would be about 15 minutes of sunset. And so you would notice the sun start to set, and it would be like this mad dash scramble to get to wherever you needed to be before it was pitch black. And, and 15 minutes later, it'd be pitch black. There was very little outdoor lighting on the island, and the electricity that there was was very spotty. So it was in and it was out. And, and what would happen is everything would go pitch black. You couldn't see uh, that there was an ocean. You couldn't see more than 10 feet around you. And then these winds came, these fast, furious, hard winds, and, and they would whistle and beat against the little vacation house. And, and so it was, it was an extremely long night for my bride. She had insomnia. I slept really well. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was this, this really unusual contrast, and it, it reminded me and, and allowed me to read the Scriptures, I think, in a new way. You know, the Bible often uses the contrast between night and day, between darkness and light, uh, as symbols to, to represent its message, light symbolizing um, life and love and peace and happiness and, and darkness symbolizing despair and hopelessness and sin and evil and death. And you and I, with the lovely invention of electricity, are, find our lives not as much governed by the switch between night and day. But for the biblical writers and for ancient people, their kind of day-to-day existence was very much dependent on these stark contrasts. And and I think they would have appreciated um, these symbols maybe a little bit more than we do because they were affected by them so dramatically and consistently. In fact, in in one of the most famous Christmas poems in Isaiah 9, I'll read it for you. It it goes like this, Isaiah 9, verse 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You see it right there already, right? Darkness and light. The people 
who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the passion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The promise of a child being born, a son being given, The Christmas story, though, is set in the context of darkness. Twice in the beginning, we're told this. The light comes to a people in darkness, a people dwelling in the land of deep darkness. It's the darkness of a world full of disease and death, full of evil and pain, full of hurt and regret. The promises of Christmas, of a child being born who would one day rule, of God coming personally to his creation to save and recreate. These were promises given to a people who knew deeply about suffering and pain and evil. The, the Christmas season, the, the reality of Christmas was experienced by people who had, who had drunk deeply from the well of pain and death and oppression. And, and this is an important truth that, that darkness is the, the proper context for the Christmas story for, for a couple of related reasons. The first one is because the Bible is painstakingly realistic about the state of our world. You will, you will not find in the scriptures, not even in the Christmas story, which so often gets painted as this, this very sentimental, hallmark, peaceful story. Not even in this story will you find the hard, rough edges of life glossed over, painted out. No, you, you find King Herod slaughtering children. You find a foreign empire ruling over an oppressed nation. You find death and destruction. You find a people in despair, hoping against hope. The Bible is, is very honest about the fact that our world is so often full of darkness. And the Christmas story is, is set in this context. The second reason is because the Christmas season itself can, I think, be especially painful for many of us. Uh, I think the last statistic I saw was about 20% of people in polls said that Christmas um, brought up more pain than any other time of the year for them. I think we have all experienced that or are experiencing that. At, at Christmas and other holidays like that, there's a, a chair that's no longer filled as we mourn the loss of a loved one, or there are the pains that have accumulated over the past year. There are the broken relationships in the family. There are the mistakes and regrets that we have for them for the past year. The Christmas time, sometimes we are uniquely attuned to the darkness that we find in the world. 
And I think that people respond to the darkness of the world in, in primarily two ways. If you were going to make a pendulum, I think you could set one way on this side and, and the other way on this side. And luckily for us, I think two iconic Christmas characters kind of characterize these two different approaches, these two different responses to the darkness. And so on one hand, you have Ebenezer Scrooge. And on the other hand, you have Elf as played by Will Ferrell. Now, these are both very high culture examples. If you're not sophisticated and educated, you might have missed the elf reference. But these are kind of two different ways, two, two opposite approaches to responding to the darkness in our world. Ebenezer Scrooge sees the darkness. Charles Dickens writes, darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it by becoming more bitter, by embracing the darkness, by succumbing to the darkness by embodying this bah humbug attitude. And I think if we were honest, there's times when the darkness around us starts to shape us into a Scrooge. And we start to feel overwhelmed. We start to feel encompassed. And we might even find at times that the darkness is not just outside threatening to hurt and pain us, but the darkness might come from within. We might ourselves contribute to the pain and brokenness that fills the world. On the other side, completely different, you have Elf. If you've seen the movie from the laughter, I'll assume you have. Will Ferrell plays this character who is a grown man who is uh, a firm believer in the holiday season and all that it offers and represents. And he is kind of your hopeful optimist and and. And, and in this scenario, this type of person, this approach is an approach of ignoring the darkness. Instead of embracing it and allowing it to shape you, it's kind of covering your eyes and pretending it's not there. And so these are your like friends and family who are cheerful to a fault, right? They react to bad news by laughing and smiling. They, they seem to never have a bad day. In the Christmas season, right, they're the ones maybe singing the songs the loudest. They're the ones watching Elf six times. They're the people who, who sometimes fill their lives with distractions and busyness so that they are never forced to look at pain and hurt, at darkness in the world. Now, if, if I were to guess uh, from my own experience in my own life, I think that most of us probably kind of go between both of these extremes. We can find ourselves acting more like Scrooge, reacting to the darkness in our world, more like him, and at times reacting more like Elf. But the Christmas story shows a different reaction to the darkness on the part of God. He, he responds to the darkness not by embracing it, not by ignoring it, but by engaging it. God dives deep into the darkness and transforms it. God shines his light into the darkness, and it's dark no more. John picks up this theme, the light and the darkness, that is started in Isaiah chapter 9 in one of the, I think, most beautiful poems about Christmas. I'll read for you, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now listen here, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What a beautiful last line. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the Christmas story. It's a story of light and dark. It's a story of light entering into a dark world and transforming it. It's a story of a light that cannot be put out even by rejection and death. It's the story of a child born, a child who we know as God's very own son. Theologians call this the incarnation, the moment where God becomes a human being, the moment where God has his first birthday. This is, for Christians, the primary act of salvation. God, in the incarnation, bridges this qualitatively large gap between himself and humanity. And he does it in his very own person. By becoming a human being, uniting humanity to his divinity, and thus transforming it. All of their actions, his life, his death, his resurrection, they're salvific. They are able to to be given to us because of Jesus' union with us because of the incarnation. The reason Jesus' death can be for us is because in Christ we are united to him. When he dies, we die. The reason Jesus' resurrection can also ensure our resurrection is because through the incarnation, you and I have been inseparably united with the person and work of Christ. This beautiful, marvelous mystery that draws us to worship and wonder and awe. The king of heaven became a powerless baby on earth. He who was rich became poor. The creator of Mary is born from her womb. This is the incarnation, the Christmas story of a light shining in darkness. An early church father, Irenaeus, said this, Just as those who see the light are illuminated by the light and share in its brilliance, so those who see God are in God and share in his splendor. The idea is this, as, as you see light, inevitably that light is participating with you. You find yourself enlightened by that light. You share in some relationship to that light. And to truly know God, to truly see him and worship him as a baby in the manger is to find yourself transformed, is to find yourself drawn into a relationship of worship and reverence and obedience and repentance. The Christmas story should cause us to react to the darkness in our world not like Scrooge and not like Elf, but like Jesus. To be able to look it in the eye, identify it for what it is, and then work to transform it. To not avoid the dark places in our world, in our community, in our own lives, but to actively go there, to confront it, to change it. To know that the light will not be overcome by the darkness. Unfortunately, the world we know is often still as dark as it was to those who first heard that promise in Isaiah. Examples abound from just the past year of a darkness that not only engulfs our, our globe, but 
has often made its way into our own country, into our own neighborhoods. And not only in the Christmas season, throughout the year, there's this tendency, this temptation for us to do one of these two things, for us to become bitter, to become transformed in a negative way by the darkness, or to ignore it, to pretend it's not there, and to to run away from it, to distract ourselves. But as the incarnation captures our imagination, as we truly get the reason that we celebrate Christmas, you and I, the church, Christ's people, would be transformed into the same type of engagement with the world. We would be a light that shines in the darkness, knowing that the darkness has not and will not overcome the light. This Christmas, I invite you to come marvel at the birth of Christ, to come give him your praise, to come lay your wonder at the feet of the baby born for you, of the son given for us, that we might find salvation and life in his light and that we might be transformed and be able to go out into the world and transform it accordingly. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to reflect not only on, on these beautiful hymns and, and Christmas songs that you, you've given your people, but, but also on the scriptures and, and the poems and the promises. Um, I, I, I pray that, that our hearts and minds would be captivated, our imaginations would be taken over by the beauty and, and the power that we find in the, the story that is your son being born. I pray that this Christmas would not be a time that we rush through, would not be a time where we find ourselves distracted or overcome um, by anything in our life, but that instead we'd be able to um, see through the fog into the light of your Son, that we would be able to, to look at the manger and see the Creator God who has come to be with us, who is for us, and who has come for our salvation. May we look nowhere else than this child, this man, who now sits at your right hand, interceding and praying for us, sending his spirit to fill us and guide us. Help us be sensitive to the spirit's prompting. We might find life in Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all God's people this evening prayed, saying, Amen. Amen.